The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. He suggested his ter- his attorney lie to the FBI and and the grand jury by saying that he does not have the documents that they requested in the subpoena. He asks it, Walt Nauda to move boxes of documents to conceal them from Trump's attorney and as well as the FBI and the grand jury. He provides to the FBI and the grand jury just some of the documents um, while saying that he was cooperating fully, but in fact, he was not. I'm Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, June 13th, 2023. We don't usually cross-post stuff from other podcasts on the Lawfare Podcast, but this weekend, I had a conversation on Read With Me that I thought we should share on the Lawfare podcast. Read With Me is a by subscription only podcast associated with my Substack, Dogshirt Daily. We normally keep this material separate from Lawfare, but in this case, I went through the indictment of Donald Trump at great length and with particular care with Lawfare. Fulton County Court Correspondent Anna Bauer, and Lawfare Contributing Editor Matt Tate. It's a line-by-line, page-by-page analysis. It's pretty long, and it's very different from what we usually do on this show, but we thought it might be a good resource for people who were trying to make sense of the indictment, where it's strong, where it raises issues, what issues it raises, and where things might go from here. It's the Lawfare Podcast, June 13th. Read with me, The Trump Indictment. Today's document is the indictment in U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida, docket number 23CR80101, United States v. Donald J. Trump and Waltine Nauta. I do not know how to pronounce his last name, and honestly, I'm not sure whether Waltine is supposed to rhyme with saltine or whether it's pronounced some other way. He seems to go by Walt. We are going to be going through this document, a couple of preliminary words about it. It is 49 pages, although some of those are cover pages and uh, checklists and stuff. Some of them are lists of documents, which we'll discuss. And 
It is, I got to say, one of the most tightly and elegantly written indictments I have ever read. There is not a unnecessary sentence in it. I was going through it today trying to figure out what could be summarized rather than just read, and the answer is almost nothing. We are just going to start at the beginning and go through Anna, let's start with the list of statutes right at the top of the indictment. What are the seven statutes that are listed? Right. So we've got 18 USC 793E, which is, I believe, our Espionage Act counts. Right. That's going to be the one that's doing uh, the lion's share of the work on the number of counts. There's 31 counts of that. And it is the statute that bars the unauthorized intentional retention of hoarding of dissemination of uh, refusal to return information related to the national defense. What's next on our menu? So next we start moving into some of the obstruction uh, statutes. So we go to 18 U.S.C. 1512K, which is conspiracy to obstruct justice. Then we move on to count 33, which is withholding a document or record, 18 U.S.C. 1512B2A. Um, And I believe that's the count that includes the abetting as well. And... Then we have corruptly concealing a document or record in count 34, 18 U.S.C., 1512 C1. Then we have... My favorite of them all, 1519. Right, 1519, concealing a document in a federal investigation. I love that statute because it's like you can, it's such a specific uh, thing, you know, they were like, one day somebody concealed a document and they realized they didn't have a statute for it. So they, you know, raced to pass 1519. And then we have two false statements counts. Right. We've got count 37, false statements and representations. And then count 38, false statements and representations as well. Uh, 18 U.S.C. 1001A2. I think we might have missed count 36, though which is scheme to conceal. Oh, it's a different, right. So it's 18 USC 1001A1. Right. We have both both A1 and A2. And then we have the famous 18 USC 2 statute, which is uh, stuck in there for, for good measure. 18 USC 2 is this uh, fun little statute that says if you cause an act to be done which would be a crime if you do it, but you get somebody else to do it, it's a crime anyway. And we'll find that uh, good old 18 USC 2 becomes kind of important as you go through the document as a bunch of things that uh, Donald Trump doesn't want to do himself, he gets other people to do. So you need some of them, you need 18 USC 2 or some kind of a conspiracy statute to do. Okay, so then we have two defendants here. We have Donald J. Trump, former president of the United States, and we have Waltine, aka Walt Nauta or Nauta or 
Nata, I'm not really sure how it's pronounced, and I don't think he's going to be asking questions right now. Walt Nata, uh, Matt, what do we know about him? Uh, yeah, so he's uh, one of the people that was working for Donald Trump at the Mar-a-Lago estate. Uh, he's a, a valet to Donald Trump, and he was involved uh, at Mar-a-Lago with uh, some of the, the, as the indictment alleges, uh, uh, that he was involved in uh, moving some of the documents, cleaning some of them up, and as we'll see a little bit later, uh, texting various people about things that were going on at Mar-a-Lago uh, and the movement of some of these documents and what Donald Trump perhaps knew about it. All right. So paragraph one of the indictment begins by noting that Donald Trump was president and uh, notes the dates of that. And then it has a sentence that I think is just designed to set up the stakes here. It's it's a truism, but it's a in some ways a remarkable sentence. It reads, as president, Trump had lawful access to the most sensitive classified documents and national defense information gathered and owned, note the ownership, by the United States government, including information from the agencies that comprise the United States intelligence community and the United States Department of Defense. So I'm curious, I read that as like Jack Smith saying in paragraph one, I'm not fucking around here. The the stakes here are pretty substantial. Uh, how did you guys read it? So I read it actually as, as saying something quite important, uh, which is that the, the Espionage Act and the, the, the statutes around mishandling classified information do make a, a, a distinction, and it is important or sort of the principle of charging these types of crimes to distinguish people that have classified information because they lawfully have access to it versus people that have access to classified information because it was given to them. Uh, so to give you a, a good example, we, we've had several cases in the past where uh, uh, people that had lawful access to classified information gave that information to journalists, for instance. And the United States has, generally speaking, charged the people that had lawful access through their, you know, employment, to, you know, intelligence agencies or the Department of Defense or wherever else. We will charge them because they have lawful access to it and they are disclosing it against the, the statute of the Espionage Act. But the people that the documents were given to, journalists and so on, um, are generally not charged. Uh, with possession of those classified documents. And I think what this this sentence is doing is it's doing something quite important, is that it, it is saying, before we get into the body of the indictment itself, just so that nobody has any doubt, President Donald Trump does not look like a journalist who has received classified documents in this case. He looks like someone who had classified information uh, was properly, lawfully authorized to have that classified information as part of his duties and part of his job as being president of the United States. And he mis misused that authority and took these documents. And so the, the statute applies to him. Yeah, I read it in a really similar way, Matt. And I, I think that there's kind of like a setting up the stakes and some of the like thematic elements that run through the indictment of like, really just starting out with 
emphasizing that this was a man who had great responsibility um, and and lawfully had you know our nation's secrets and and then kind of what follows after this paragraph really shows how how much that responsibility for our nation's secrets was really mishandled in his uh, post presidency period. So I think there's kind of a storytelling device here as well with setting it up with this first paragraph. Yeah. So all right, let's go to the second paragraph. Over the course of his presidency, Trump gathered newspapers, press clippings, letters, notes, cards, photographs, official documents, and other materials in cardboard boxes that he kept in the White House. Among the materials Trump stored in his boxes were hundreds of classified documents. I want to start by noting that that paragraph is not alleging any criminal activity, much like the previous paragraph. It's kind of a, you know, the president has access to classified material. He he stores it, but uh, that is a very irregular way to store classified information. And I think uh, part of what they're they're doing here is they're saying, you know, classified information is generally segregated. It's generally stored in uh, particular facilities, not in cardboard boxes in, you know, the residential components of the White House. And so while they're not alleging any criminal activity there, there is something they're already setting up a certain carelessness and blitheness with the material. What do you guys think? I yeah, I, I think that's right. I also think that, you know, it solves something of a mystery that was was kind of unknown how a lot of the classified materials, you know, became mixed in with some of these other items and to what extent Trump had, you know, personal knowledge or personal involvement in collecting these materials within the boxes themselves during um, his time at the White House. So this paragraph kind of solves that uh, mystery a bit in in that we now know that Trump himself was, you know, ga- intentionally gathering these, you know, papers into these boxes. And so he presumably had knowledge of, of what was in there. Yeah. So that's a really important point. And we're going to see over the course of this document how much careful attention Jack Smith at all pay to Trump's personal responsibility for the handling of these documents. And I do think the fact that, you know, the verb to gather here is attributed to him individually is the first part of that uh, assignment of individual responsibility. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think it, it does a couple of other things as well. Like, as you mentioned, we're still very, very early in the indictment. And what the indictment is doing is it's setting out the the sort of the, the framing devices that are going to be important when we get closer to, you know, actually saying what the charges are. And they're giving you some of the background uh, for you to be able to understand and contextualize what you see a little bit later. So a little bit later in the indictment, we're going to see these boxes. They're going to be you know, very central to the rest of this indictment. And people are very reasonably going to have the question, well, you know, uh, uh, what are these boxes? What are in these boxes? Who put things in the boxes? And here what we're, we're starting to see is we're seeing the special counsel say these boxes were put together in the White House by Donald Trump personally. And also 
what was he doing with these boxes? He was collecting various things, you know, newspapers, press clippings, letters, notes, cards, photographs, and so on. And, you know, all of those things up until we get to official documents are entirely reasonable things for, you know, people to want to, you know, uh, uh, store over the course of their, you know, being president. Uh, it's, it's, you know, a, a completely normal, completely reasonable for, you know, any president to be, you know, gathering up, you know, uh, uh, memorabilia into boxes that they know they will eventually be taking out. Uh, but what we see here in the second half of this paragraph is that they were also putting in official documents. This brings us to paragraph three, which is really the stakes paragraph. The classified documents Trump stored in his boxes included information regarding defense and weapons capabilities of both the United States and foreign countries, U.S. nuclear programs, potential vulnerabilities of the United States and its allies to military attack and plans for possible retaliation in response to a foreign attack, uh, and of course, it goes on to say that the disclosure of this material would implicate the safety of military personnel. And uh, this is a particular issue for uh, in the national security arena, the human sources and continued viability of intelligence collection methods. Uh, Matt, it's fair of me to say this is basically prosecutor speak for the stuff in here is as sensitive as anything the United States has. Yeah, so it, it gives different specific categories of classified categories of, of information, uh, you know, uh, uh, and who would be impacted in the event that that information was lost. Uh, and that's very important because, uh, uh, of course, uh, the, the executive order which lays out how classifications are assigned inside the US government, how you understand that this particular document is confidential, but that particular document is top secret, is based in no small part based on, you know, what the consequences are in the event that that document was revealed to, you know, adversaries. You know, uh, uh, and in this particular case, they're, they're making the claim that this would be of, of catastrophic consequence to the United States. And consequently, these documents are properly very highly classified. All right. So paragraph four, then we reach the pivot point at 12 p.m. on January 20th, 2021. Trump ceased to be president as he departed the White House. And note here that it's not entirely clear whether this happened before or after he departed, which has, I think, implications for certain charging decisions. As he departed the White House, Trump caused scores of boxes. Now, that word caused is a reference to 18 U.S.C. 2. If you do something that's a crime, if you cause something to be done through somebody else's hands, that's a crime. If you do it, it's still a crime, right? So that that statute there becomes important. Trump caused scores of boxes, many of which contained classified documents, to be transported to the Mar-a-Lago Club in Palm Beach, Florida, where he maintained his residence. Trump was not authorized to possess or retain those classified documents. Okay, so Anna, I read this paragraph and say, this says clearly that he caused these boxes to be uh, removed and that cannot be charged in Florida 
because this is something that happened in Washington, D.C. But if it happened after he was president, uh, this could be charged in Washington in a separate indictment. How do you read that? I, I agree, I think. And I, and I do wonder if we might see some separate indictments in D.C. And as we'll get to later in the indictment, there's also a potential in New Jersey as well um, because of some of the events that happened at his uh, golf club there. So that's how I read it as well, Ben. Yeah, I think this the, the vitality of this case, the removal, the case for charging the removal of these materials depends entirely on whether they were removed before he ceased to be president, or in which case, by the way, he has the authority to have them removed, or after noon. So you would want to know at what time the truck left uh, or the, you know, helicopter or whatever vehicle these uh, boxes are on, you would want to know what time it left, because I think whether it's a separate offense under the statute really does depend on this. Okay, this is my favorite paragraph in the entire indictment, and there are many candidates (laughs) for it. Paragraph number five, I I think Jack Smith's people had a lot of fun writing this, The Mar-a-Lago Club was an active social club which, between January 2021 and August 2022, hosted events for tens of thousands of members and guests. After Trump's presidency, the Mar-a-Lago Club was not an authorized location for the storage, possession, review, display, or discussion of classified documents. Nevertheless, Trump stored his boxes containing classified documents in various locations in the Mar-a-Lago club, including in a ballroom, a bathroom and shower, an office space, his bedroom, and a storage room. Now, Matt, you have been responsible for classified information, albeit, uh, you know, British classified information. Not American classified uh, information too, Ben. uh, Oh, American classified, yeah, five eyes, right? Um, And you get cleared to see stuff sometimes. So, yeah, what is the normal, give us like, I mean, they're they're being a little bit, I think, playful here. Um, They're describing the manner of holding material at Mar-a-Lago. And the assumption is that educated people know something about what, or they're going to present in court, what the normal rules for the, for the storage of classified information look like. What do they look like? What's a normal facility for this kind of uh, storage how is it different from a bathroom at Mar-a-Lago? Well, you're, you're suggesting that perhaps we don't store classified documents in ballrooms and bathrooms and showers, Ben. I, I'm I'm thinking not, and having been in the in a number of uh, uh, secure information facilities, I, I have an instinct about what the answer to this question is. But I, yeah, I've <laughs> I've never seen them stored on a stage in a ballroom. For sure. So yeah, the the storage for different categories of information varies widely depending on what the information is. 
Um, so uh, unclassified material can be stored pretty generally um, as it starts to ratchet up through the ranks uh, to become more heavily classified information. The rules and retention rules of how that has to be stored and accounted for uh, get substantially more aggressive. Um, so uh, uh, documents that are, you know, uh, at a, a secret level are going to usually be stored within a, a secure compartmented information facility called a SCIF. Uh, and that is designed to exclude people from the building that do not have uh, uh, appropriate clearance to be there. Uh, usually for a, a SCIF, you will also exclude uh, mobile devices uh, and, and devices that might be used for recording, for instance. As you start to get up into, you know, top secret documents, uh, you're likely to have additional restrictions requiring that even within the SCIF, uh, that they have to be held within certain spaces that are appropriately cleared for it and that those documents need to be locked away in appropriate uh, safes uh, uh, that are uh, have a limited number of people that have access to that safe and that the safe itself meets certain requirements in order to make it very difficult to break into those safes. Um, when you have things like nuclear secrets, when you have things like uh, information that's derived from, you know, human sources, for instance, you know, things that are starting to live not just at the top secret level, but within, you know, uh, uh, even a very limited number of people that have top secret clearance would have ordinary access to some of these documents, uh, that those are going to be, you know, uh, have potentially very, very restrictive uh, lists of individual named people that might have access to that document uh, who might need to sign it in and sign it out. Uh, and in the event that the document goes missing, then, you know, everybody, you know, loses their minds and works out where the document is. The last time I was in the NSA, which is, you know, uh, a facility that is cleared for uh, the most sensitive information, or actually every time I've been in the NSA, I have been struck by the fact that the building basically has no windows. Uh, the director's office has a window. There are a couple, you know, here and there, but basically this is a building that- It is literally uh, a fort, man. <laughs> it is literally it, a fort. Well, it is literally a fort, right? <laughs> this is not a stage with boxes stacked on it where uh, if, you know, you spill the documents or a box as happened here, uh, somebody would just kind of snap a picture, right? Yeah, like the, 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 these documents, especially at the, the uh, uh, w w once you're into classified documents, they're, they're not going to be around people that do not have security clearances. People without security clearances are not able to just wander into, you know, Fort Meade and start taking pictures. Um, and in the event that they tried, they would be denied access immediately at the door. All right. So we have now reached the end of page two of the indictment, uh, 26 minutes into this conversation, which gives you an idea of just how meaty and uh, substantial it is. All right. We now come to I, what I think is the uh, single uh, most shocking allegation in the document. Again, this is just the summary in the introduction. This isn't even the fleshing out of any of these allegations. At the bottom of page two, it says on two occasions in 2021, Trump showed classified documents to others as follows. Now, I want to note that this uh, conduct is not specifically charged in the indictment. 
And the reason is that both of these actions did not take place in the Southern District of Florida. They take place at Bedminster, which is in New Jersey. So it is possible, I think, that these actions, these are some of the most outrageous actions in the document. Uh, If they are going to be charged for reasons that will become obvious, they will have to be charged in New Jersey. So Anna, what happens in paragraph six? We have now moved on to uh, page three. What are these two incidents, both of which are fleshed out in detail in the body of the indictment? Right. So we have one incident in July of 2021 at the golf club in New Jersey. And this is an audio recorded meeting with uh, four individuals, a writer, a publisher, and two members of Trump's staff, none of whom had security clearance. And we learned that Trump showed them and described a plan of attack. And he told the individuals that it was highly confidential and secret. He also says, as president, I could have declassified it. Now I can't, you know, but this is still a secret. So for readers who aren't clear about this, this is a tape. Uh, We learn the details of it later and we'll discuss the details of it. But this is a tape where the president acknowledges that this document is secret, which means is a term of art. It means classified at the secret level, that he could have declassified it, but he didn't. What is the significance of that if you're not going to charge him with disseminating the classified information? So this is an absolutely incredible admission. And I think it is something that's that's probably a a non-trivial part of, you know, why this entire case has been put together, is that the president is here saying a, a bunch of things that are really important, right? So number one, Trump is admitting that he knows that this document is secret, right? You know, uh, uh, in the event that the government accuses you of uh, having lawfully held a a, a secret document and then disseminating it, uh, perhaps you might say, well, I didn't know it was secret, right? But here we have Trump admitting that he knows that it is secret. And then the second big question that's, you know, been floated around a lot in the past few years, especially uh, with relation to uh, Trump's inability to keep secrets is this question of whether or not Donald Trump declassified the secrets whilst he was still president. You know, that uh, people could say uh, uh, perhaps Donald Trump declassified it, you know, uh, in in some process, perhaps not the, the ordinary process, but in some other process, perhaps, and therefore is, you know, uh, uh, not guilty of of, uh, disseminating classified information because he somehow declassified it. And what we have here is we have Donald Trump admitting on tape that he could have declassified it, but didn't, right? And that's really, really important because it it undermines two very clear, well, I I guess actually three very clear things. Uh, Number one, Donald Trump knew that this document was secret. Number two, uh, he, he says that he could have declassified it, but says that he didn't. So he knows that it is still secret at the point where uh, uh, he is revealing it. And thirdly, he also knows that the person he's revealing it to does not have appropriate security clearance to receive the document, uh, which is devastating to his case. Yeah, so I was I, I was talking to a very senior former prosecutor the other day, or 
last night who said, that tape, oh my God, that tape is game over. And that is exactly what he's referring to when he said that. And look, there's another feature of the tape, which is this is a completed crime in the court. This tape contains the dissemination of this classified material, as well as the statement that you know it's classified and that you, uh, and the, that very rare tape that contains the evidence of cognizance of guilt. And so if you're wondering, is there going to be a indict, an additional indictment in New Jersey? So in, in this indictment, the tape is playing the role of showing his state of mind. But if you imagine a case in New Jersey, this tape is the crime. Um, and I think that's, I don't, I obviously don't know if there's going to be an indictment in New Jersey. I have no inside information, but this indictment contains evidence of material that would be clearly indictable as a crime, assuming it's true, as a crime if you brought it in New Jersey. Anna. Right. And and yeah, and just to make it kind of clear how this inc- incident connects to kind of the larger events that are going on in Florida as well, is that, you know, it's it's not just that in this particular instance, in this per- about this particular document, Trump was acknowledging this is a secret material and I haven't declassified it. It's, it's that Trump's kind of PR line that he has said again and again is that he declassified all of the documents that he had in his possession, right? And so that would include, you know, the things that are in Florida. But here they have an example of him admitting that there are some documents that he did not declassify. Um, and then it also just kind of shows that he had a, a, a more general kind of knowledge about the procedures and, and the way that, you know, classified information and declassification works. And, and so I think that that kind of is one reason why, even though this incident isn't charged in the, in this indictment, um, you know, it still goes to, you know, some of the um, kind of broader uh, things that are at play here in terms of knowledge and that kind of thing. All right. So then we go to 6B, which has gotten less attention because there's no tape, but uh, it's a kind of, uh, I think this is Jack Smith saying, you know, it wasn't just once, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And and so this is an example where Trump shows a representative of his political action uh, committee in, uh, again, at his New Jersey club. This person, again, doesn't have security clearance. And Trump shows this person a classified map relating to a military operation. And Trump himself says that he should not be showing it to the representative and that the representative should not get too close to the map. Okay, um, so, so Matt, obviously that first part should not be showing it. It reflects cognizant of, of guilt, but Trump's lawyers are going to say in response, representative should not get too close means showing it at a distance. It's too far away for anybody to see with classified, highly classified material, are you allowed to show it to people at a distance? No. Um, in, in the event that it is properly classified material and the other person does not have a 
uh, appropriate security clearance to see it and an uh, appropriate need to know for the, the specified information, then it is not allowed to show it to them in any form whatsoever. At a distance, through like blurring, indirectly, you cannot show that information. Um, but um, I think this second paragraph also does something, uh, you know, uh, uh, in addition to the, the, the first one. The first one it sort of uh, demolishes three very important uh, uh, things. Number one, uh, uh, he knew the document was classified. Number two, he says that uh, he could have declassified it, but he didn't. And, and third of all, uh, uh, that uh, he was telling it to someone that didn't have the security clearance. The second one, 6B, is also showing that he knew the person he was talking to did not have clearance to see it. Right. You know, perhaps he would come up with a defense in, in the first instance to say, well, you know, uh, uh, I, I had no, no, no way to know that this random writer in my golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, uh, wasn't, in fact, a you know, top secret cleared professional uh, with a need to know. Laughable as that claim is, B demolishes it. He knows when he's talking to people about this classified information that he shouldn't be. All right. So now we come to paragraph seven, which in this summary, remember, we are still in the summary section of this uh, <laughs> indictment. We're only on page three. This is the heart of the criminality that this indictment alleges, which is, all right. So in March of 2002, the FBI opens a criminal investigation into Trump's retention of this material. Uh, the following month, the grand jury begins its investigation. It issues a subpoena saying, give us back all the classified marked material. And uh, the document reads, Trump endeavored to obstruct the FBI and grand jury investigations and conceal his continued retention of classified documents by, among other things. So, Anna, give us a summary here of these distinct four, five uh, things that Trump is alleged to have done. Right. So first we've got that he suggested his his attorney lie to the FBI and, and the grand jury by saying that he does not have the documents that they requested in the subpoena. He asks it, Walt Nuada. Did, did we decide that that's how you pronounce it? We don't how to pronounce it. So anyway, we can vary it up. You can go with Nauda. Different, different one every time. Naughty Nauda. Uh, I don't know. You just you make it up. All right. Uh, so Nauda, to move boxes of documents to conceal them from Trump's attorney and as well as the FBI and the grand jury, he asks his attorney to hide or destroy documents called for in the subpoena. He provides to the FBI and the grand jury, just some of the documents um, while saying that he was cooperating fully, but in fact, he was not. Um, and then finally, the fifth one is that he caused a certification by one of his attorneys to be submitted to the FBI, which falsely represented that, you know, they'd done a, a diligent search and that the documents had been produced when, in fact, Trump knew that that was not true. And then the final substantive narrative paragraph of this summary describes the consequences of this, which is that a certain number of documents are 
available basically to anybody who walks into Mar-a-Lago for a protracted period of time, and some of them may not have been recovered. So, Matt, what's the what's this paragraph eight sense of the consequences here? Yeah, so th- this is just enumerating all of the the different documents and when they were eventually recovered. So we have. Uh, uh, in paragraph eight, as a result of Trump's retention of classified documents after his presidency and refusal to return them, hundreds of classified documents were not recovered by the United States government until 2022. Uh, so uh, paragraph A, on January 17th, nearly a year after he left office and months after uh, the National Archives and Records Administration, NARA, asked Trump to provide all of the missing presidential records, Uh, Trump and his team provided 15 boxes containing 197 documents with classification markings. On June June the 3rd, so about six months later, in response to a grand jury subpoena demanding the production of all documents with classification markings, uh, Trump's attorney provided the FBI with 38 additional documents, all with classification markings. And on August the 8th, pursuant to a court-authorized search warrant, the FBI recovered from Trump's office and a storage room at the Mar-a-Lago Club 102 further documents, also with classification markings. And a bit later, we'll see what some of those documents are. Right. So, okay. So now that is essentially the end of the summary. We're now on page four. Uh, Again, that should give you an idea of how dense this document is with important material. And we're now really at the first place in the indictment where you could summarize anything rather than read it without losing something. So uh, the next, uh, there's a brief section about who Nata is, which is to say Trump's body man. There's a brief section about uh, the nature of the Mar-a-Lago club, which again emphasizes that it had hundreds of members and was staffed by more than 150 full-time, part-time, and temporary employees. It doesn't say, uh, but implies none of whom have uh, clearances to see classified information. Yes, certainly Um, the overwhelming majority. Right. Um, And it hosted in the relevant period 150 social events, including weddings, movie premieres, and fundraisers that drew tens of thousands of guests. The Secret Service did was not responsible, though it was responsible for Trump's personal protection. It was not responsible for the protection of Trump's boxes or their contents, nor did he inform them that he was storing boxes containing classified documents at the club. Now, they're going to need to put on a witness to establish this. So you have to imagine a Uh, officer of the United States Secret Service responsible for security at Mar-a-Lago describing what he was and was not responsible for and basically saying we had no idea there were, you know, 80 or 100 boxes of classified material. Uh, We were not responsible for that. We were responsible for preventing people from, you know, hurting or killing the first uh, the the former president and his family, and I think that testimony is going to be uh, devastating. If you imagine that President Trump, you know, they've established that he's individually responsible for squirreling away a lot of highly classified material here. Yeah. So th- this paragraph is actually going to be very important because, of course, the the 
uh, members of Donald Trump's uh, protection detail will have uh, themselves each a, a, a security clearance. Um, and what's going to be very important in the, the trial is establishing, uh, and this is what the, this paragraph is, is basically trying to you know, uh, uh, establish, is that the, the Secret Service was not delegated by Donald Trump the, the, the uh, responsibility for keeping these documents safe. Uh, they were not uh, within the Secret Service's uh, uh, on-site skiff. Uh, it was not managed by people that are properly cleared by, you know, the, the United States government. And also, it's important because the the Secret Service personnel, of course, as a, a consequence of having a, a clearance, in the event that they had been aware that there was uh, classified information there, they would have had a duty to report it. As someone that has uh, a, a clearance, you have a duty to report in the event that you become aware of classified information being mishandled. So it's also separately important uh, to point out that Donald Trump didn't even make them aware of it. Um, and so none of this can be blame shifted out to the Secret Service. This is entirely the responsibility of Donald Trump uh, and uh, the people around him. Yeah, I think this is, it's not an especially interesting component of the indictment, but I think it will be a powerful component of a, of, of a trial. Okay, so the next section, which we can very briefly summarize, uh, describes the classification information system, uh, which we are, I will just do here. Uh, it's established by executive order. Uh, this is the president's information to protect. Material can be classified at the top secret, secret, or confidential level. Loosely speaking, uh, top secret is material that could be expected to cause exceptionally grave damage to national security. Secret is serious damage. Confidential is basically, you know, damage. And there are some other uh, classification markings, uh, like you can't give it to foreigners or uh, SCI, which means sensitive compartmented information. These are for sort of uh, highly, highly specialized sensitive programs. Uh, and then there are special access programs as well. All of this becomes part of what's essentially a glossary to the rest of the indictment. The only thing you really need to know here is that the only way to lawfully access classified information is if you are cleared and you have a need to know. And the indictment says uh, curtly in paragraph 18, after his presidency, Trump was not authorized to possess or retain do classified documents. So the document then goes on in the next section to describe the types of documents that he had. Again, we've summarized this earlier, but uh, there are some, some important details here. It lists the agencies that he had access to material from. Those include the CIA, DOD, the NSA, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, which handles uh, satellite imagery, the National Reconnaissance Office, which does imaging the Department of Energy and the Department of State. So basically, it's got every he's got access to everything, which isn't surprising because he's the president. He's also got access to the president's daily brief, of course, which is the only newspaper in the world produced 
for a single individual, which is the intelligence community's product to brief the president on foreign intelligence every day. And this is the most sensitive, it's certainly the most sensitive uh, daily publication in the world. There is then a section, paragraph 22 and 3, which I think, again, uh, very important at trial, in which uh, the document recounts the various statements that Trump made as a candidate, mostly directed at Hillary Clinton because of her handling of emails about the way the need to handle classified information properly and enforce the law with respect to it. And then once he had become president, uh, reiterating that. So this is, again, you know, turning the knife uh, in the belly, but also I think I'm designed to show that he knows the rules. Do you guys think that it's playing a different role as well? Or is this, uh, you know, just to make clear that he knows exactly what the rules are and that he purports to think they're important. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, um, I, I think a lot of people reading this are going to sort of read it as sort of like turning the knife and like showing the hypocrisy of his, his previous statements and the, you know, uh, uh, what about Hillary Clinton's emails type stuff. I, I really don't read it like that. Um, I, I think... There's a lot of opportunities if if the special counsel had wanted to to you know turn that kind of knife, and I think they're they're playing it very straight, uh, at least from from my understanding of this document. What this is really doing is it's showing that Donald Trump was aware that classified information is something that should be protected, uh, and was generally cognizant of the fact that there are rules about handling it, and that violating those rules matters. Uh, and uh, uh, the point of doing this is to, you know, make the case later at trial that Donald Trump knew about the rules and he decided that they didn't apply to him. Yeah, I think that's right. But I, I also do think, though, that, you know, it's not just the showing knowledge. I, I still think that there is some element to this that is, you know, showing the kind of hypocrisy of it all, um, because I think that. You know, this being a speaking indictment and this being something that, you know, the Justice Department uh, attorneys who are writing this, you know, they know that it's not just the the legal aspects of the case, but also kind of the, you know, the story that you're telling to the public and and to, you know, people who maybe are on the fence about whether or not this this is a politically charged investigation or or you know, the the kind of things that Trump has put out there about the investigation. And so I think there is an element of kind of more just storytelling here about the hypocrisy. But, I, you know, it's debatable about whether or not that's appropriate. I don't know. But but I, I do think Matt is right that the, the main thrust of it is just showing the the knowledge. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, I think it, I think Matt is right as to the intent, but it no doubt has the effect that you're describing. I mean, it's a, it's a, you get there and you're kind of like, oh my God, I, you know, I can't believe he said those things given the way he is alleged to have behaved. But so it's, it's possible that it's not necessarily intended to have that effect and yet it does. All right. So then uh, we finally get to now the fleshing out of the activity that he is alleged to have engaged in. Paragraph 24 on page 10, Trump and his White House staff, including Nauta, packed items, including some of Trump's boxes. Trump was personally involved in this process. Trump caused his boxes. Again, note that caused Uh, containing hundreds of classified documents to be transported from the White House to the Mar-a-Lago Club. Again, the timing of this is unclear, and I, I think that is intentional. It says the only time reference is in January 2021 as he was preparing to leave the White House. So it is not clear whether this caused predates his ceasing to be president, in which case he has the authority to do it, or post-dates it by a minute, like noon, 12.05, right? Biden takes the oath of office, the truck leaves, Trump does not have the authority to do this. And I think we're going to learn the answer to that, maybe in subsequent indictments, or maybe because there aren't subsequent indictments, at least not in Washington, because the special counsel has determined that however gross this is, it was while he was still president and therefore within his authority. Okay, then here is where the uh, story gets comic. Paragraph 25, I love this paragraph, from January through March 15th, 2021, Some of Trump's boxes were stored in the Mar-a-Lago Club's white and gold ballroom, in which events and gatherings took place. Trump's boxes were for a time stacked on the ballroom stage, as depicted in the photograph below. I have never seen a stack of boxes of classified documents in a ballroom before, and I actually feel bad that I wasn't invited to any of the events in this ballroom, so I might have rifled through them. I can't think of a comparable example to this in, you know, most times when people squirrel away classified information, it's either at their houses or, you know, to give to the Soviets or, you know, to leak to the press. They're not usually displaying it. Uh, Can either of you think of an example of like somebody, uh, not necessarily at a ballroom, but, you know, at a museum, at a movie theater where like somebody takes uh, 80 boxes of classified information and puts them on display? 
Not, not in this sense. I mean, there's the, the case recently where a, 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 a national air guardsman was posting classified documents on Discord, which is a sort of similarly offensive in its, its sort of design. Um, yeah, I guess that's right. I guess it's sort of like that's the 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 Gen Z version of this, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the only other thing that I can think of is cases not where someone has has sort of uh, taken restricted documents and sort of mishandled them. But a case that comes to mind is, for instance, the I think it was back in the eighties when the the Iranians stormed the U.S. embassy and put together classified documents that had been shredded. But I mean, that's this very different in motive, but sort of like sit similar in the sense of like large numbers of documents being pieced together and, and right. sort of, but yeah, there's, there's really nothing that's sort of comparable to this, like having information of this quality and quantity just completely left alone with, you know, no security whatsoever. And it being in a, a generally public venue, I, I, I can't think of a good example. All right, Anna, what happens next? Well, there's a little bit of boxes, musical chairs that that goes on. Um, So the boxes move from the ballroom to, I believe it's the business center in March of 2021. And then after the business center, oh, they they go to another um, great place to store classified documents, which is, I believe, a shower. From the business center to the bathroom and shower in the Mar-a-Lago Club's lake room, um, which is a cool place to store classified material. I just want to focus here on a couple texts that get exchanged because some for comic reasons and some for substantive reasons. So in April of 2021, Trump employee two texts, whoa, okay, so POTUS specifically asked Walt for those boxes to be in the business center because they are his papers. Uh, So note that that, uh, again, uh, brings into the indictment Trump specifically directing the way these documents are handled. This is not staff level behavior. This is Trump level behavior. When they move to the bathroom, there is an exchange between Trump employee one and two in which employee one writes, there's a little room in the shower where this other stuff is. Is it only his papers he cares about? There's some other stuff in there that are not papers. Could that go to storage or does he want everything in there on property? Notice again, they're talking about what Trump wants. And Trump employee two poetically responds, yes, anything that's not the beautiful mind paper boxes can definitely go to storage. Uh, So I love the phrase beautiful mind paper boxes. That's going to be a meme (laughs) until the end of time. But again, so notice that Trump is giving directions for how to handle this stuff. And the boxes, the beautiful mind paper boxes are different from other stuff. Other stuff can go to storage, 
but uh, the beautiful mind paper boxes have to stay in the shower or stay in the bathroom. Well, can I just pause here and say that beautiful mind paper boxes, that text from Trump employee two is probably my favorite moment in the entire indictment. <laughs> um, and I, I wanted to ask if you guys get the reference there, because uh, I think a lot of people maybe don't. Well, so I thought it was a reference to uh, uh, the Sylvia Nasser book about NAST. Is that not what it is? The the mathematician, right? Yeah, the yeah. economist. Yeah, so it's also a film with Russell Crowe, which I think most people maybe have have not read the book, but have read or have seen the movie. And there's some incredible see because I started watching it last night uh, to kind of see like what a Trump employee too was talking about. But there's some incredible scenes in that film where, you know, like Jennifer Connelly's character, who's who's the wife of the mathematician who's become very obsessive about, you know, his papers and the um, case that he was working on. And um, she kind of like walks into various rooms and will find them just like covered in papers. And 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 she will kind of be like, oh, my God, like, why didn't anyone tell me like and and so it's just a very funny kind of interesting thing to to get that reference because I think a lot of people in the beginning just thought it was a funny turn of phrase but it's actually a reference to the film or perhaps the book and and this um kind of you know character's obsession with the the papers and and so it's just I thought it was an interesting kind of revelation yeah it's a it's a brilliant book and uh very worth everybody's reading for reasons that has nothing to do with uh Donald Trump Then in May, Trump directs that the storage room on the ground floor of the Mar-a-Lago club be cleaned out so that it can be used to store his boxes. Uh, And again, there is a passage that is, you know, very clearly intended to uh, highlight how insecure this is. The storage room could be reached from multiple outside entrances including one accessible from the Mar-a-Lago club pool patio through a doorway that was often kept open. The storage room was near the liquor supply closet, linen room, lock shop, and various other rooms. So needless to say, Matt, again, not the way we normally store top secret Yeah, I I think when the FBI raided his uh, place and and discovered how these documents were being stored, they were probably quite glad it was next to the liquor supply closet. I'm sure they would have needed it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So then the stuff is moved from the lake room bathroom to the storage room. And the result is that there are 80 boxes in the storage room. And then we have a spill. Not a spill in the sense that uh, we usually use the term spill (laughs) with respect to classified information, which refers to an accidental uh, disclosure, but in the literal sense. So what happens next, Matt? Yeah, so uh, uh, what happens next is uh, uh, we have a couple of photographs in the indictment. um, And these are from uh, 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 Trump's boxes, which have fallen stacked in in uh, non-structurally sound ways and some of them have fallen onto the floor and a consequence of this is that uh, uh, their contents have spilled onto the floor and showing some of the documents that are inside 
including one that is marked secret Welter USA FVEY, which means that it's a, a document classified at secret and it's uh, information that's uh, 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 related to the US and the Five Eyes community, which is the uh, United States, United Kingdom, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia, uh, Five Eyes Alliance. Uh, and uh, uh, now to then texts uh, uh, one of his friends, the, the, uh, another Trump employee, says, I opened the door and found this and attaches the two photographs that we see above. And Trump employee two replies, oh no, oh no, and I'm sorry POTUS had my phone. Yeah, so I think this is an extremely important moment and it's worth breaking down. So the text reads, Nata also attached two photographs he took of the spill Trump employee two replied, oh no, oh no, and I'm sorry, POTUS had my phone. So I think what they are saying there and what Trump employee two will testify to is that it was not Trump employee two who said, oh no, oh no, but Trump who said, oh no, oh no. And then Trump employee two says, I'm sorry, POTUS had my phone. And so what you see there is not a texting images of classified material on an open network, by the way, in a fashion that Trump personally saw. And the text then reads, one of the photographs Nata texted to Trump employee to is depicted below with the visible classified information redacted. Um, in other words, so Trump saw a literal spillage of classified material visible with, you know, texted over a non-secure line uh, and responded, oh no, oh no. Do you read it, do you read it differently that, that this is saying Trump, Trump saw this? I think that's right. And that's how I read it. And I was trying to think about, you know, what the other another interpretation would be potentially that it, the employee it, it what we don't know is the timestamps here. Right. So we don't know when uh, Nauda texted Trump employee two with these photos and then Trump employee uh, two re replied, oh, no, oh, no, POTUS had my phone. It's possible that there was some kind of long gap between, you know, the response um, after Nada sent the photo. So I guess the other way you could interpret it is just that the employee is saying like, oh, sorry, I'm just responding because POTUS had my phone. But I don't think that the Justice Department would put that message in here if, if there was not some, you know, testimony to the fact that it's it's not that 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 was going on, right? Because I think that it's that first interpretation of you know that Trump responded, "Oh no, oh no," on the employee's phone. Yeah, I don't think it would be important to say POTUS had my phone in the indictment unless the implication were that Trump himself had written the "Oh no, oh right. no." Right. I think I think that's right. Um, it is worth remembering, of course, that this indictment indicts Donald Trump, but it does also in, indict Walt Nauta, and this paragraph is uh, primarily about Nauta. And I think what, one of the very important things that this paragraph is doing is as well as showing that Donald Trump knew 
uh, uh, indirectly about all the classified information being stored there that Nauta did too. Um, that that's that's super important because the the special counsel's office is is wanting to indict Walt uh, uh, to levy a, a, a series of you know very serious charges against him, uh, almost certainly with the intent that they will uh, later. Uh, drop uh, all or most of those charges in exchange for uh, uh, Walt's testimony against Donald Trump later at trial. Uh, but that does mean that it's also very important that they show that uh, these charges apply to him too. Right. But if you were merely interested in his conduct here, you wouldn't need to include Trump employees two's response. Oh, yes. So I, I, I think this paragraph is doing both things, right? I, I think that it's, it's primarily talking about Nauta and, and, and uh, uh, saying that uh, uh, these charges apply to him. He certainly knew that there was uh, documents that were uh, uh, classified information that he uh, uh, should not have been uh, uh, storing, but he certainly knew of it. Like the photographs make that very clear. But secondly, the, the president, uh, you know, the former president at the time, uh, was also very well aware of what was going on in his establishment and that these documents were being mishandled. So we come now to the two disclosures uh, of the classified material in private meetings. Anna, walk us through uh, what happens uh, beginning at the bottom of page 14. Right. So we get to um, a more detailed account of what happens at these meetings in New Jersey where Trump shows classified information. And I would note that in paragraph 32, we once again get that language of Trump caused some of his boxes to be moved to New Jersey from the Mar-a-Lago club. And then it moves into, in paragraph 33, an explanation of kind of what happened with this writer and publisher um, and two members of Trump's staff at the golf club in New Jersey when uh, in this kind of recorded conversation, Trump seems a little bit, um, you know, upset that a senior military official who I believe that we know from uh, news reports is likely the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, Mark Milley. And Trump, you know, talks about how uh, this senior military official had been making statements that uh, he it tried to dissuade Trump from attacking country A. Um, which, which we know to be Iran. Yes, which we know to be Iran. And and so Trump is is trying to, I believe, say, you know, well, I was presented with a plan of attack from uh, senior military officials. And so he's trying to kind of, you know, say that that Mark Milley's narrative is 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 not, you know, accurate and that he's kind of, you know, being um, wrongly maligned. But, um, and so in in doing so, he, you know, shows seems to be showing a document with this plan of attack and and Ben, I don't know. Maybe you want to go through some of the uh, language here that is really interesting because we have a, tr a partial transcript of of what occurs. Right. So there is a a transcript where he and he's talking to be clear to the would be ghostwriter and publisher of Mark Meadows's autobiography, uh, and I think there's a you know there's a. Uh, there's the substantive content where he says, you know, this would kind of destroy Millie's argument. But then the bottom is of it is really the 
is really the heart of it. He says uh, that he's got a problem because this is secret. This is secret information. Look, look at this. And then he says, this was done by the military and given to me. I think we can probably, right, declassify it. See, as president, I could have declassified it. Now I can't, you know, but it's still a secret. Isn't that, and the, the staffer says, now we have a problem. And Trump says, isn't that interesting? So he's, you know, it contains not just the, as Matt said earlier, the recognition that the material is still classified at the secret level, the recognition that he could have declassified it, but he no longer has the authority and he's talking about it and showing it to them anyway. And so it's a, it's a short passage that is just, just devastating. Uh, okay, so what do we know about the second episode? So, and, and the second episode, we, you know, again, get information that Trump showed a representative from his political action committee, a classified map of country B, which I believe that is... That's uh, Afghanistan. Yes. So he shows a map of country B and tells the PAC representative that he should not be showing that map and and not to get too close. Um, we don't have much more here, and that likely is because there maybe isn't a recording, but but perhaps that the PAC representative testified um, to this effect. So I, is that what everyone else understands? Why we don't have you know kind of the transcript that we do in the other the other incident? I think that's right. It's not recorded, so it's going to rely on the PAC representative's testimony. But again, it does say very clearly that he should not, he acknowledges, he says to the PAC representative that he should not be showing him the map. And the PAC representative is instructed not to get too close. So it shows sort of cognizance of improper conduct. And again, neither of these incidents is specifically charged. It will be interesting to see whether they are charged later. They're here because they show consciousness of guilt in all sorts of ways that are relevant to uh, what comes next and what came before. And Ben, I will I, I will ask you uh, while we're here on the New Jersey conduct, because I, I think that this is a question that a lot of people have been asking since reading this indictment. As far as we are aware, Trump's golf club in New Jersey, where these events occurred, have, has not been searched. Is that right? Correct. And as far as I know, there I know of no grand jury activity in New Jersey. So it could be that there's they've just decided to let this ride. Uh, it could be that they have quietly recovered the material from Bedminster. I think there was a you know an additional turnover of material. It could be that they were they are you know, there is activity that we're all unaware of. Um, but I think there's there's some story that we don't know the end of involving Bedminster. So two things. First of all, it's not necessarily the PAC representative who will be the, the witness testimony, right? Um, all that they do need in the trial is they do need a witness who has, has sort of a, a first-hand 
knowledge of the matter, right? So it could have been someone else uh, that was there whilst the PAC representative was being shown this information. So it right. could be a different a different member of staff. It could also mm-hmm. you know, potentially be Walt himself. Uh, so it, it could be a couple of other things. No, it um, couldn't be Walt. Oh yeah, that's right. It couldn't be Walt because they'd have had to say it. But it, it could be a different a different member of staff. Um, yes. And the other the other thing that I, I just wanted to point out for you know folks that are not used to reading indictments, um, indictments as a general rule omit naming countries, businesses, and individuals that are not charged in the document. So when it uh, uh, here mentions, you know, senior senior military official that we know is Mark Milley, country A, which we know is Iran, and country B, which is Afghanistan, that's not necessarily because the, the Office of Special Counsel thinks that this is, you know, unusually sensitive or classified or anything else. This is, uh, you know, very often they, they will use redactions in ways that they know everybody is going to immediately work out. It, it's just the, the, the style of indictments is that they, they will exclude that information unless they have to. Yes, and it's they're very consistent about it. And if you remember in the indictment of Michael Cohen, that is why President at the time Trump was called Individual One, yes. um, uh, even though it was glaring, glaringly obvious <laughs> who, the, who they were dealing with. It, it was Individual One who at the time was a, a, a candidate was president, president of the United States, right? Or, a candidate, I think, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. So now we come to back to the part of the story that people uh, know or that was previously known. May of 2001, uh, NARA uh, demands that Trump turn over records uh, that he had previously kept. But before we get to that, I think you might have missed paragraph 36, which I think has a, an important thing in it. Uh, again, stating that Trump said at a press conference before, uh, you know, in, in 2017, whilst to his president, uh, complaining about classified information getting to the press and saying, the first thing I thought of when I heard about it is how does the press get this information that's classified? How do they do it? How do they know why? And then this very important sentence here, because it is an illegal process and the press should be ashamed of themselves. Right. But more importantly, the people that gave out the information to the press should be ashamed of themselves, really ashamed. So what we have here, again, is an example of Donald Trump uh, uh, saying something on record where he is aware that giving information, giving classified information to the press, uh, which he's just done a couple of paragraphs earlier, giving classified information to the press is something that he knows is an illegal process. Yeah, that's a super important passage. National Archives demands the stuff back, and paragraph 38 reads, between November 2021 and January 2022, NADA and Trump employee two at Trump's direction, again, focusing on his individual supervision, brought boxes from the storage room to Trump's residence for Trump to review. So this is now we're getting into the heart of the, the, the criminality that's actually charged in this indictment. NARA is demanding the material back and the material is migrating from the storage room to Trump's residence for his personal review. Um, there is, are a series of paragraphs where this becomes vivid. Uh, in November of 2021, Trump employee two provides Trump a photograph of the boxes in the storage room, 
uh, by way of showing him how many there are by taping it to one of the boxes that he had placed in Trump's residence. He provides Trump the photograph, the indictment says, so that Trump could see how many of the boxes there are in the storage room. And there's a photograph of these sort of lines of boxes. And then there are a series of paragraphs. These are critically important that are designed to show that Trump individually goes through the boxes. Uh, Nauta uh, sends uh, to Trump employee to uh, this photograph. They discuss specifically Trump's review of the contents of the boxes. Nauta is delivering boxes back and forth. They are actively talking about him going through the boxes uh, at one point, Nada replies in text messages, he has one he's working on in Pine Hall, knocked out two boxes yesterday. And there are these repeated texts, it's several paragraphs about, you know, boxes going up and back so that Trump can go through them. There is no direct evidence that Trump did go through them, of course, because only that would presumably be done by Trump in private. But there's evidence of the movement of boxes back and forth. All of this is while they are trying to get back to the National Archive and answer how many classified materials, how much classified materials they have. The National Archive is trying to pin them down about the volume, and Trump is going through these boxes and presumably removing material that he doesn't want to return. Um, okay, so January of 2022, they gather 15 boxes, and which presumably Trump has been through now, uh, and return those to the National Archive. Anna Nada does not tell the truth about this interaction when he's interviewed by the FBI in May. What happens? Right. So they uh, they outline a number of the false statements that uh, Nada makes with respect to the uh, production to NARA. They say that he falsely stated that he was not aware that Trump's boxes were being brought to his residence for review. So that's kind of one reason why, you know, they were very focused on showing these, you know, text messages or communications that show that um, Nada was very involved in, you know, bringing uh, these boxes to Trump for a review. He also falsely stated that he didn't know that he and Trump employee two brought from Trump's residence to the commercial truck for delivery to NARA on January 17th, 2022. And then he also says when asked whether he knew where Trump's boxes had been stored before they were in Trump's residence, he says, I wish I could tell you. I don't know. I honestly just don't know. But clearly from all of the preceding events, it's made clear that Nada did know where the the boxes had been stored before they were in Trump's residence. So those those three things form the basis for, uh, you know, the the false statements in uh, count 38 of, of the indictment. Right. And then so they do actually give ba- back some classified material. In those 15 boxes, 14 of them contain classification markings. 
197 documents to be precise, 98 secret, 30 top secret, and the rest confidential. And there are SCI and SAP markings on some of them. So they actually do return some super sensitive stuff, but only after Trump has kind of plucked out the stuff that he uh, uh, wants to keep. All right. So then the FBI opens the criminal investigation following NARA's referral. The grand jury convenes in April. And in May, it issues a subpoena demanding the rest of it back. And here is where really the heart of the criminality lies. Trump is informed of the subpoena. Shortly thereafter, Nauta enters the storage room on May 22nd and leaves with one of Trump's boxes. And the next day, uh, Trump and meets with two attorneys, one and two, and he tells them, I don't want anybody looking. I don't want anybody going through my boxes. I really don't. I don't want you looking through my boxes. What if we just don't respond at all or don't play ball with them? Wouldn't it be better if we just told them we didn't have anything here? What if, isn't there better if there are no documents? So they need to do a search to comply with the subpoena. And Trump is suggesting ways to obstruct. These are incredibly damaging statements. We know attorney one is Evan Corcoran, and we think attorney two is, uh, I'm forgetting her name. Not Jennifer Bob, Little. Jennifer Little. And they clearly have heard testimony from both of them. And so having your lawyers testify that <laughs> you suggested that like, we just lie and say there aren't any documents, that is extremely damaging uh, allegations. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's super important that these are Trump's attorneys, because ordinarily, like when you're discussing things with your attorneys, that's going to be covered by attorney-client privilege. And here, the criminality was so extreme that that, that was uh, uh, breached, right? The, 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 right. The, the, the FBI was able to get access to these documents that otherwise would have been covered by client-attorney privilege. Right. And I wonder, Ben and Matt, you know, I, what do we know about how Jack Smith, you know, knew about going after these kinds of statements within the attorney-client communications? Do we know anything about that? And and I mean, I know that the the motion was is obviously still sealed. So so we the entire investigation is sealed. Yeah. We don't we don't know what information they had that allowed them to breach the privilege. Right. We do know that they 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 were very upset at a certification by one of Trump's attorneys that they had gone through all of the documents that they that the FBI said was false. Right. 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 So it, I, it could it could have come out of that investigation. And we do know that in terms of what resulted from the piercing of attorney-client privilege is that uh, Jack Smith investigators got a recording uh, or, or a set of voice memos that Evan Corcoran made um, about his conversations. Um, as well as all his notes. But right. that was the fruits of the piercing of the right. privilege, not the not right. the cause of it. Yes. In, in this conversation with 
with the two lawyers, Trump praises Hillary Clinton's lawyers for smashing her computers, uh, um, which leave aside whether never mind. <laughs> yeah, leave leave aside the truth of it uh, is uh, illustrative of what he wanted them to do. The indictment says he related the story more than once that day. Um, that, 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 that sentence right there, like you, you have your, your favorite parts of the indictment. That sentence is my favorite part of the entire indictment because you can just tell how tired they were writing that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he finally confirms with Corcoran that Corcoran would come back on June 2nd to do the search. And this sets up um, that he's actually willing to delay his trip to Bedminster to supervise this. So again, personal responsibility. This happens on May 23rd. He delays his departure to Bedminster. And what follows is uh, a series of removals of material by Nada from that storage room. On May 24th, he takes out three boxes. On the 30th, uh, he speaks by phone with Trump for 30 seconds, and then he removes 50 boxes from the storage room. On May 30th, uh, later in the day, a Trump family member tweets uh, or texts him about these boxes that he has moved up to uh, the residence and to say, hey, we're not going to have room to take with them with us to Bedminster. And he responds, good afternoon, ma'am, smiley face emoji. Thank you so much. I think he just wants to pick from them. I don't imagine him wanting to take the boxes. He told me to put them in the room and that he was going to talk to you about them. So again, these Boxes are coming up there, and Nada at least thinks Trump is picking things out of them. Uh, he then removes on June 1st another 11 boxes from the storage room. So the key paragraph here is pa paragraph 62. Between May 23rd and June 2nd, before Trump Attorney 1's review of the boxes in the storage room, Nada, at Trump's direction, moved approximately 64 boxes from the storage room to Trump's residence and brought to the storage room only approximately 30 boxes. Neither Trump nor Nada informed Trump attorney one of this information. So in other words, there's a net movement of material, uh, 30 boxes of material out of the storage room and into the residence in a fashion that is unaccounted for. Something that is kind of, you know, implicit here in terms of the source of the evidence between paragraphs like maybe 58 to 
59 or or and and within the next couple of pages where they're they're specifically pointing out like very specific time periods uh within which uh nada moved these boxes and and so i think that maybe what that's telling us is that this is uh the surveillance video that they have um we do know that they have some surveillance video of of moving around of boxes and so i think that that's important and then also you know the fact that they have these communications between Trump and Nalda that are very, very shortly before the moving of the boxes. Um, And so, you know, that shows the connection between, you know, Trump's uh, directions and then the, the, the moving of the boxes. Yeah, I think that's right. I think also one of the, the very important things about several of these paragraphs is that they're essentially saying that Trump and Nalda were misleading Trump attorney number one, right? That uh, it's very important that the conclusion of this entire section is that Trump attorney one was materially misled as to what was going on with all of this. So when Trump attorney number one gives his misleading certification over to, you know, the FBI and to the the special counsel's office, or the the Department of Justice, I guess it was at the time, Um, when he gives that misleading certification, he was doing so because of a uh, a corrupt scheme that was being directed by Trump and and which Nauta was part of. Um, And they were directing this entire enterprise to mislead the FBI. Yes, and and attorney number one is sufficiently suspicious of it that he doesn't even do the certification himself. He has mm-hmm. attorney mm-hmm. number three do it, mm-hmm. uh, who's not even involved in the search. June 2nd, attorney one, Evan Corcoran, comes to Mar-a-Lago to look for the documents. He meets with Trump. Nada escorts him to the storage room, which has been uh, cleaned of the material unbeknownst to Corcoran. Uh, He then reviews the material. He locates 38 documents with classified markings. He places them in a folder, uh, seals them with duct tape, which is the traditional way of handling classified material, not. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he has an astonishing conversation with Trump. Trump says to him, did you find anything? Is it bad? Good? And then it reads as follows. Trump and attorney number one then discussed what to do with the folder containing documents with classification markings and whether Trump attorney one should bring them to his hotel room and put them in a safe there. During that conversation, Trump made a plucking motion as memorialized by Trump attorney one He made a funny motion as though, well, okay, why don't you take them with you to your hotel room? And if there's anything really bad in there, you know, like pluck it out. And that was the motion that he made. He didn't say that. Uh, So Corcoran does not pluck them out. He calls the Department of Justice and uh, asks to meet with an FBI agent to turn them over. And that evening, he gets in touch with uh, attorney number three, which is Christina Bob, uh, who's the the real patsy here, and asks her if she would come to Mar-a-Lago to be the custodian of the records and sign the certification uh, that the search had been adequate. She does so, uh, even though she had nothing to do with the search in question and had not reviewed the subpoena. 
and she falsely states that a diligent search had been conducted, that it was conducted uh, in order to locate documents responsive to the subpoena. And this is the key phrase, any and all responsive documents accompany this certification, which of course is not true and Trump knew not to be true because he had personally removed documents that were responsive. Following this, the family and Nauta pack up and go to Mar-a-Laga, uh, go to Bedminster and uh, carrying this these items with them. The FBI gets wind of uh, this. It's not clear how. It simply says in July 2022, the FBI and grand jury obtained and reviewed surveillance video uh, from the Mar-a-Lago club showing the movement of boxes set forth above and they conduct the uh, search warrant. During this, they seize 102 documents with classification markings in Trump's office and the storage room. Six are top secret, or sorry, 17 are top secret, 30, uh, 54 are secret, and uh, 31 are uh, confidential. Uh, and that is the story, but we have 38 charges that result from them. Uh, we will breeze through them relatively quickly, except for the first 31, about which Matt has done a fair bit of research or sleuthing. The first 31 charges each relate to the retention of a document that was classified or designated uh, as national defense information. So Matt, you have spent some time writing for uh, your Substack and for Lawfare, a, uh, a sleuthing exercise in what we can figure out about these documents. Give us a brief overview. Right. So uh, right from the very start, I think it's important to notice that these 31 charges are one charge each for a very particular document in each case. Um, so far as I can understand it, that, that enables the, the special counsel in this case to sort of take each one of them separately because they're doing slightly different things in, in some of these cases. In the indictment itself, it's actually quite opaque what some of these documents are. Um, they list for every single one of the, the documents, they, they list three things. Uh, the first thing is a date range, which they, they say is the, the period of time where the document was uh, held by, by Donald Trump and, and uh, his associates. Uh, and that's the, the period of time in which the charge uh, sort of applies. The second thing is for documents that have a classification marking, what the classification marking on that document is. And the third thing is a very, very brief description of what the document is. So like document dated May the 3rd, 2018, concerning White House intelligence briefing related to various foreign countries. And in each one of these cases, it's, it's very, very uh, brief. Uh, you know, if we, we look at uh, uh, charge number five here, for instance, we have uh, a document which is top secret. The compartments are redacted. Uh, it's also ORCON, which means that it's originator controlled. So the, the originating agency that produced this document has to be uh, 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 asked before this document is, is further 
revealed and it's no foreign, which means that it's relating only to American information and, and shouldn't be shared with foreign countries. And this is a document dated June 2020 concerning nuclear capabilities of a foreign country, right? And they don't tell you which foreign country, they don't tell you uh, what else is in that document. Um, but with several of these documents, you can actually look at some of the dates and some of the classifications that, that are going on here, and you can make some informed guesses as to what else was going on at the time. So if, if we look at that one in particular, for instance, document number five, uh, this is a, a top secret document concerning nuclear capabilities of a foreign country dated June 2020. June 2020 is super interesting if you pay like uh, uh, way more attention to these things than is healthy, uh, because in June 2020, uh, uh, one nuclear power did something very interesting, which is the Russian Federation decided that they were going to publicize their nuclear deterrence uh, uh, doctrine. Right? They they uh, didn't actually change it, but they declassified it. They wrote it down uh, and published it. So it, it's it's available on the internet if you would like to go away and, and look at it. And that's super interesting because this happens in June 2020. And when Russia changes or, or, or does anything that touches on its nuclear deterrence doctrine, that's going to end up in a, a presidential daily brief, right? Uh, we don't know what happens exactly in presidential daily briefs, but we can say with a lot of confidence, if the Russian Federation changes its nuclear deterrence doctrine, that's going to be in a presidential daily brief. And when will it be in the presidential daily brief? in June 2020, because that's when it happened, right? So although the indictment doesn't tell us this document is uh, uh, about uh, a, a document concerning the nuclear capabilities of Russia, it almost certainly is, right? And you can also see here that there, there's some extreme sensitivity going on with this document. It's, it's top secret uh, and uh, it involves special access programs, but the special access programs themselves are sufficiently classified that they're not going to even tell us what they are. They're redacted, right? So uh, that's one example of a, a document that we can extract extra information from. Uh, another one that I think is uh, worth drawing attention to is uh, document number 19, right? Uh, this is a super interesting document because its classification is secret slash slash formally redacted data. That's formally as in in the past. Uh, and this is an undated document concerning nuclear weaponry of the United States. This is a super, super interesting document because it's the only one of these documents that doesn't fit into the ordinary mechanism that we use in, in the national security community for, for classifying documents. For, for the, the vast majority of classified documents held by the US government, they fit into the ordinary national security categories of you know, uh, confidential, secret, top secret, and, and special access programs, right, with you know, additional caveats. Documents that relate to uh, classified secrets around nuclear weapons, uh, the production of fuel for nuclear weapons and for you know, uh, uh, reactor design and so on, these are in fact classified in a completely different way. They're classified thanks to uh, the Atomic Energy Act. And uh, the Atomic Energy Act provides for two key uh, uh, classification structures, uh, which is restricted data and formally restricted data. It's very easy if, if you're not sort of uh, aware of how the system works. Formally restricted data doesn't mean that it's no longer classified. 
uh, under the system. It means that it used to be restricted data uh, and it covers specific categories of information to do with uh, nuclear weapons. And these are all nuclear weapons held by the United States. So uh, uh, in this particular case, formally restricted data uh, relates to, uh, uh, for example, uh, US stockpile quantities, like how many nuclear weapons the US has, uh, nuclear weapon safety, storage, uh, what the yields of nuclear weapons are held by the United States, and locations of, of nuclear weapons. Uh, but probably not things like uh, a reactor design or, or, or the nuclear weapon design itself. Um, I think this is actually a really interesting inclusion, um, not just because of the, the, uh, the sensitivity of it and the emotional weight. I think the vast majority of everyone in America hearing that Donald Trump had uh, uh, information relating to the nuclear weapon design system, to, to, to the, the nuclear weapons of the United States, will sort of immediately understand that that's obviously correctly classified information but because it's classified under the atomic energy act rather than through the, the uh, uh executive orders uh, uh it can't have been declassified by trump right so so it, it's not uh, executive order uh, uh, 13526 uh, uh derived it's atomic energy act uh, uh derived information and the mechanism for declassification in there is completely different, right? It is, is, is laid out by statute. Um, information is restricted data or formally restricted data within the meaning of the Atomic Energy Act in the event that the uh, Department of Energy or the Secretary for the Department of Energy and the Secretary for the uh, Defense, for the Department of Defense, um, agree that this information is covered by one of the categories in the Atomic Energy Act. In the event that they disagree, the president is the tiebreaker, right? So the president could, you know, choose if, if, if you wanted a, a pathological example, the president could direct the secretary of energy and the, the uh, uh, secretary of defense to uh, remove a, a designation on some documents and fire them and go through a, a Saturday night massacre of people until he can get to either one of them uh, agreeing that this is not classified and then breaking the tie and saying this is not classified data anymore. But the really important thing here is that that process is, is assured, right? It's definitely going to have to take place. There is no possibility that this document could have been declassified by the president without going through this process. So this, this idea that the president could have just picked a process out of thin air, or he could have just uh, declared it to be declassified, or he could have declassified it in his mind or whatever, that certainly could not have applied to this particular document. And that, that's unique amongst all of the other documents that are here, that this is a document that's related to, to US nuclear secrets and is therefore not something that the president could have easily or unilaterally declassified. So Anna, I'm gonna ask you to just run through the other charges very briefly, just the briefest of summaries. We've done the facts already and we've done the statutes so we can be very brief about it. So after we get through the Espionage Act counts, uh, we kind of get to a, a separate part of the accounts that go to obstruction or conspiracy, conspiracy to obstruct. Count 32 charges Trump and Nada with conspiracy to obstruct justice. Count 33 charges Trump and Nada with withholding documents uh, from the grand jury subpoena. Count 34 charges Trump and Nada with withholding documents from 
Evan Corcoran so that he, which caused him to submit the false uh, subpoena response. Count 35 um, relates to Trump and Nauta withholding the documents from the FBI investigation and the grand jury investigation. Count 36 charges both Trump and Nauta with um, scheming to conceal things from the FBI and grand jury investigation. Count 37 charges Trump alone, um, and it relates to causing Christina Bob to make uh, a false statement to the FBI and her certification. And then finally, count 38 uh, is a charge that only applies to NADA, and it is uh, related to conduct for making false claims um, in his statements to the FBI. Um, And uh, I believe that that is a kind of quick and dirty uh, summary of of, uh, not necessarily the statutes, but just kind of what all of those counts relate to. Right. So that is actually the indictment right there. There is a lot more to say about it, which we will get to uh, in due course. You can learn more about a lot of the individual indictments over at uh, either Lawfare, where Matt has uh, published his uh, sleuthing on the subject, or at his Substack, Pwn All the Things. Anna will be down in Miami at the initial hearing on Tuesday. Uh, So there's going to be a lot more on this. And of course, we will be following it carefully on Lawfare. But that is the indictment. Matt, Anna, thank you both so much for joining us on Read With Me. Thanks for having us, Ben. Thanks. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Our audio engineer this episode was me, which is why the sound is not wonderful, and I apologize for that. You should become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com slash lawfare. And if you want to, you can subscribe to Dogshirt Daily at, well, dogshirtdaily.com. The Lawfare Podcast is edited by Jen Patya Howell. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.